Genesis 25. Oh, we're halfway there, friends. <laughs> right in the middle of our trek through Genesis. The Lord will come back before we're done. Which is my plan. Yes. If you remember last week, uh, Genesis 24, Abraham, he sent his servant Eleazar to a faraway land to get a bride for his master's son, uh, Isaac. And if you remember the story, uh, Eleazar says, hey, Lord, I'm going on this faraway journey to my master's relatives to find a wife for her and let it be that if she says, hey, here, have a drink when they go to the well and and also I'll, I'll water your camels then this has got to be the one. And so that's exactly what happened. And we find it uh, interesting that Rebecca, she agrees to come back on this long journey to meet a guy she's never met and gives her, and, he, and Eliezer, he gives her gifts. And they begin this long journey back um, from her father's uh, house and from under her brother's covering to uh, a new person's house, Isaac's home, where she would be, uh, married to him. And the whole chapter is a beautiful illustration of types in the scripture. And the Holy Spirit does this. It's very beautiful. And it's a type of the Father sending the Holy Spirit to uh, the earth to grab a picture, of, to grab a bride for his son who will not, who, who's staying up there. And basically she has to say yes and she has to come back, well, guess what? He's, he, the Holy Spirit gives her gifts and he draws her and he brings her out of that situation all the way until they meet. And when she sees him, when, the, when we will see him, uh, we will fall down and worship just like uh, Rebecca did. And it's just a beautiful picture because it says that at the end of chapter uh, 24, it says that Isaac, he said he loved her. He took her into his mother's tent and he loved her and so in the same way jesus is going to take us into his father's house and we will be with him forever and ever and ever and he will love us and he does love us and it's just a beautiful picture of types well that continues in this this chapter there's some more types we'll talk about but i recommend reading genesis 24 again uh through that lens it's it's a it's a very beautiful picture in Genesis 25, verse 1, it says Abraham had taken another wife. Sarah had died, remember that, and whose name was uh, Keturah, and she bore him all these other people. And verse 4 uh, talks about the sons of Midian. And when you look at the story of Moses, uh, that will come into play. Because remember when Moses fled from Egypt, he ran to the uh, people of Midian, and he married the daughter of the priest of Midian. And so that comes in later. But anyway, verse 5, Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. But while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. And so Abraham was careful to further separate the son of promise from the others because God promised the land to him and to his descendants. And so he, even though he loved these people, he gave them gifts and he, and he sent them on their way just as he did with Ishmael. And so uh, he obeys the Lord. In verse 7, it says, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last 
and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people and his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite. The field Abraham had bought from the Hittites and there Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. And after Abraham's death, God blessed his son, Isaac, who then lived near Beer Laharoi. And so it's only fitting that, you know, here we are reading these chapters about the, the death of a, of a great man of faith. And yesterday we, we, we had a memorial for uh, Bill Smeltzer. You know, what a joy and a comfort to hear uh, the impact that that man had upon uh, the lives here in the community and the church, uh, the work that God did in, in through him. It, it was awesome. And our brother fought the good fight, and he finished the race. He kept the faith, and it's interesting how the Holy Spirit is just weaving that in these stories into our church church life. As we open the Bible, it's going to impact us wherever we are and all the different circumstances we are. That's the beauty of, of how God works through his word. And so Abraham, he lived to be 175, and then he died. That's a long time. And Abraham was a great man, but he was only a man. And God's work passed from one generation to the next. Now God would carry on the work of that covenant promise through Isaac, through his son. And brothers and sisters, this is just a reminder, just a reminder, your day, my day of departure is approaching it's coming. It's, it's closer than we think. I don't want to comfort you with those words, but the question is, what is God going to do with the next generation? What's he going to do with those we are to have been investing in? Abraham with Isaac. Who's your Isaac? What's God going to do to them? What's your role in passing that baton to them? They're, are they equipped in the faith? Have they been taught how to pray, how to discern good from evil, how to walk by faith, how to hear God's voice, how to share the gospel, how to pick up their cross, deny self, and follow Jesus daily, how to be a godly husband, how to be a godly wife? It doesn't come naturally, folks. We all know it comes naturally. It must be taught. And how will they know unless we teach them? Our great commission, you know, to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples, teaching them to obey and follow Christ so that they will proclaim the gospel and make disciples who will go follow Christ and proclaim the gospel to people who will obey Christ and we have this perpetual growth in the kingdom. Abraham's time, it came to an end. His ministry, his earth life was over. He was, he was done. And so now God would move through his son Isaac. And Abraham taught his son using words and actions. And we see that. We have seen that. And we will see it in Isaac's words. And, we, it, and, and don't make a mistake. It's not all up to Abraham. God is, God is working through Abraham in his life but to be submitted to the Holy Spirit's work in our life to be discipling others, to be investing in others, to say, okay, Lord, not my will, but your will be done in this person's life. I see them, I have time, I have energy, I have skills, I see a lack in their life. Lord, lead me to help. Provide an opportunity. 
Who's your Isaac this morning? Who are you investing in? Pray about it. Ask the Lord. Lead you in this. And after Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Beer Lahat Roy. And we'll talk about that next week. But verse 12 says, this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Ishmael, whom Sarah, uh, who Sarah's slave Hagar, the Egyptian, bore to Abraham. And you can read the names for extra credit, uh, but let's skip to verse 17. Ishmael lived 137 years, and he breathed his last, and he died. And he was gathered to his people. There's an interesting pattern in life. Uh, you know, you, you, you're born, you have kids, uh, you know, and then you die. This is just kind of the repetition of life here in the Scripture. And, and the interesting thing about Genesis, Genesis, again, is a book of genealogies, and that's, this is how the author breaks up the book. Hey, this is the line, and this is a story about them. This is the descendant of so-and-so, and this is something that pertains. And that during that whole time, God is weaving a giant picture for us to point to Christ, and, and we'll get there. That's why it, it talks about these other various people, but it keeps honing in on Isaac and then Jacob, and then Joseph, and then the nation of Israel, and then through this whole thing. That's why you have Ruth. What's, what's up with Ruth? Well, she's, you know, King David's great-great-grandmother. Well, King David was connected straight to Jesus. So we're going through this whole lineage here. And so uh, verse 21, I'm sorry, verse 19, says this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. And Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the, the Aramean from Padan, Aram, and his sister, and sister of Laban, uh, the uh, Aramean. Sorry, Aramean. <clears throat> and so 21 says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. And the babies jostled, each one within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? I know. And so, she, so, so what did she do? She had this, this serious problem, and what did she do? She went to the doctor, right? I know, we got twins going on. Why is this happening to me? I'll tell you how God's word just applies. Why is this happening to me, you know? And so she inquired of the Lord. She went to seek God. When we don't have understanding on an issue, what is the first thing we do? The first thing we should do is go to the Lord, inquire of Him, pray and ask. It doesn't mean that we can't go seek counsel from people and doctors and things like that, but the very first thing we do as people of faith is we go directly to the Lord and say, Lord, what do we do? What's going on? What's the situation? Lead us, guide us. And then we get a sense of what he's doing in his timing. We get counsel, we get wisdom, and we take steps. Why is this happening to me? And the Lord said to her, he answered her, verse 23, two nations are in your womb, two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. This is an interesting picture here, recalling the illustrations I talked about in chapter 24. Isaac is a type of whom? Christ. Isaac is a type of Christ. His wife, Rebecca, is a type of? Come on, church. Church, the, the church. You, it's a type of the church. 
Isaac, we've got the father, remember, Abraham, Eliezer, the Holy Spirit, son, Isaac, are you all tracking with me? All right, cool, just want to make sure. And Rebecca, the type of the church, and it's interesting that with Rebecca here, two lives, there are two lives struggling inside of her. The Lord reveals to her that it's two nations struggling within her, and we see We'll see more in the moment, uh, in the moment, but they are twins. Esau, the older, stronger one, from whom the Edomites would come, a, a pain in Israel's side. Esau, the stronger one, and then we have Jacob, the younger and milder one, from whom the Israelites would come. Two nations within her, the Edomites and the Israelites, and, and spiritually. Esau and Jacob are a picture of the spirit and the flesh. Esau being a picture of the flesh and Jacob being a picture of the spirit. Just like Ishmael and Isaac. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit illustrates here the struggle that is in the bride of Christ that that she has within her. We have two natures, two nations struggling within us. The flesh and the spirit. The flesh that would seek to gain control and move us towards evil and sin and self-gratification. And it is our default. It's the older one. It's the one we've known longest. And the Spirit, which seeks to control our lives and to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, beginning with love. To produce the character of Christ in our lives. And these two are warring against each other inside of us, the Scripture teaches The Lord revealed to Rebecca that the older will be stronger, but will serve the younger. And we have known the flesh longer, the old man, that sin nature that's in us. It's, it's kind of our default. It's the older one in our lives, and it's strong. But God desires that the old man be submitted to the new man. The old man be submitted to the younger, to the spirit of God within us. And how do we do this? We do this by faith. We do this by faith, by being in fellowship with Christ, denying ourselves, keeping in step with the Spirit of God. Lord God, take over. Letting his words, which are spirit and life, guide us and teach us each day, pointing us to Jesus. How do we live in this circumstance? How do we, what do I do? We open the word, we start reading it, and as we've experienced today, his word is going to hit us where we're at, wherever we're at. It's supernatural. It comes off the page. The Spirit will lead us and guide us in all truth. His word is truth. We've known the flesh longer, but that sucker is supposed to submit to the Spirit. We do this by faith. We crucify the, the flesh daily, and we choose Christ in us. But the struggle is there within us, these two opposing nations, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And it's interesting how these New Testament teachings are subtly hidden within the Old Testament. It's so neat. Just another proof of the divine authorship of the scriptures, let alone history of mankind. But verse 24 says, When the time came for her to give birth, there were two twin boys born in, uh, in her womb. Sorry, The first to come out was red. And his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau, which means hairy. 
Verse 26, and after this, his brother came out and with his hands grasping Esau's heel. And so he was named Jacob, which means heel catcher, grasp, you know, grasp the heel. Deceiver, it's, it's an idiom for deceiver in, in, in Hebrew life. And his brother, he, he came out grabbing Esau's heel. And so uh, and he was named Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. In verse 27, the boys grew up, and Esau, he became a skillful, hunt, skillful hunter, a man of open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. And so we got two different brothers here, two different bents, two different personalities uh, that are arising here. Esau was a big, he was a big hairy man's man, loved the open country, you know, had the gun rack on the truck. He was like, he could have been born in Walla Walla for all we know, right? I mean, he was just, uh, he was a country, he was a man's man. He was out there doing it. I love that. Master hunter, if it moved, it died, you know? I mean, captain of the football team kind of guy. He could have, you know, you just, any one of you guys out here, right? Jacob was different. He was, he was a mama's boy. Um, he liked to stay at home and make soup. And he, sorry, this is what it says. He probably liked redecorating with mom and didn't like to get his hands too dirty. He was a city boy. Just kidding. So two different guys here, right? And then verse 28 is really telling. Verse 28, take note of this, underline it. It says, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, he loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Think about that for a second. Two things here that I'm, I, I thought of when I read this. The first was that there's favoritism going on in the family. There's favoritism. Favoritism can be so devastating in a family. And it really does affect, um, it does affect what's, what happens in this particular family for generations to come. And, and we'll talk more about that. But, Jacob, it just seems like this, this kid is struggling for his father's attention, his father's approval, his father's affection. And, and Isaac, his dad, he just loves Esau. He just likes him. And so he's struggling there. And we'll see he has to even deceive in order to get that blessing. He has to pretend like he's someone else. And that is, that's a difficult situation. But God is faithful, and he'll mature uh, he'll mature Jacob by turning the tables on him. And we'll read about that more as we go along. But Isaac, he loved Esau and it was evident to Jacob. And the reason it says that, that Isaac loved Jacob, and this is the second point, moving back to that picture of the flesh and the spirit, it says that Isaac, he had a taste for wild game. He loved Esau. It says that Isaac, he had this craving for this certain meat that his son brought to him. Fleshly love is always based on what people can bring to the table. Fleshly love is based upon what you can do for me, how you can meet that in my life, how you can take care of that desire. Contrast that with what Rebecca's love for Jacob what does it say? She just loved him. 
And isn't that like God's love for you? The love of the Spirit. The love of the flesh is always, what can, what can I get out of it? And this is why, young people, you don't know what love is most of the time. You don't really know. I'm not, not, not pushing down, but you know the love from your parents and stuff, but they love you. You don't realize they love you unconditionally. You're not the easiest to take care of. <laughs> you cost a lot of money, a lot of time, right? <laughs> All the kids are gone, so anyways. You just you over there. But seriously, it's, it's hard, you know? And we think, you know, oh, why do I love this guy or this girl or this stuff? It's because of what they can bring to the table for me, of how they make me feel, of what they can do for me, right? Be careful. Fleshly love. They're going to get ugly. They're going to get old. They're going to get ruined. Then what? Sorry, everybody else could just forget it. We want to look at the heart, look at the character, look at who they are on the inside. I know it's hard, but trust God for the rest. We talked about that last week. But God's love, God just loves you. He loves you. He just does. Not because you bring him wild game, not because you can teach or you can do this or you're great at this or you're wonderful, you know, there's something, he just loves you just loves you. That's hard to accept, especially if you're a type A. God, I've earned your love now. I just love, by the way, I loved you before you even knew I loved you. There was nothing you could do. While you were yet a sinner, I loved you. While you were my enemy, I loved you. This is God's love. Well then, if God loves me like that, I can just Live however I want, and God will love me. Guess what? He will. He will continue to love you. Your life is going to be a mess. You are going to be run through in so many ways you can't even imagine. You're going to have pain in your life and suffering that God would have you avoid. He'd rather have you the kind of pain and suffering that would identify with his son kind of suffering that would say, not me, but your will be done. Instead, you'll run yourself through with a bunch of junk. You have a miserable, defeated life and going to miss out on the closeness of fellowship with the Lord who made you and knows what you're all about. So as followers of Christ, love, the love we should have in our hearts towards one another should be agape, that unconditional love. For God so loved the world, not a carnal love, he gave an unconditional love. It's a giving love, not based upon return, but based upon genuine care for someone else. Just because God put that love in us is how we should live for others. It's not based upon what people provide for us. This is a work of the Spirit in our hearts and lives. This is not a natural love, and, and I would say that God puts it in our hearts for you know, our kids. But I tell you, there's a point when that affection, that feeling runs out for your kids, they're driving you nuts, and it's just agape. I just love you. And it's shown in our actions, and it's not necessarily connected with a bunch of feelings, is it? At times. 
But this is a work of the Spirit in our heart. The fruit of the Spirit of God is love. When we submit ourselves to the Spirit of God, the love of God shines through us and and it pours through. We need the love of God in our relationships with one another, not favoritism or fleshly, selfish, earthly love that is focused on what others can do for us or how they make me happy. Back to our story. Dad loves Esau and mom loves Jacob. Verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, there we go, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he's called Edom. That means red. Not Edom like Edom, but E-D-O-M, yes. Could be both. Let me have some of that red bean soup. That's how he got his nickname, right? Red. Named after a bowl of beans. 31, Jacob replies, verse 31, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? The birthright was an interesting thing. It's a a double blessing given to the firstborn of the family. A double blessing, a double inheritance. He got twice as much as everybody else given to the firstborn of the family. And this is because when the patriarch of the family, when the father died, it would be the oldest son's responsibility to take care of the affairs of the family. He would have more responsibility, more burden upon him. It was up to him to take care of the well-being of the tribe, of those connected to him, right? That takes a little bit of time and energy, and so that would help support him. He was also to be the spiritual leader in the home to tend to the physical, to tend to the spiritual needs of the flock. A priest of sorts, a shepherd of the family. And Esau, who's a type of the flesh, says, what good is a birthright to me? I need to satisfy this hunger. And this is what a man or a woman ruled by the flesh does. This is what they look like. They do not value the things of the Spirit. They do not want to pray. They do not want to be in Bible study. They don't want to do these things because they're not connected to the Lord. It's not about Him. It's about me, and it's about my bowl of soup. It's about I'm hungry. They keep living after self and their drives and their desires. It dominates them. And this is who Esau was. And he valued taking care of his own desires rather than the position, the calling that God had called him to, and he sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. Listen to this. And he would regret it. The flesh is a, it's a booger. It only took him 10 seconds to do something that cannot be changed. He can't take it back. Friends, we can be walking with the Lord We can love God and we can say all these things, but in a moment of passion, in a moment of weakness, in a moment of desire, our lives can be altered. They can be changed. And yes, God forgives. He loves. He can restore and all these things, but it's just never the same. Sin has its mark upon us. It will do its work.
Just a few seconds can change your lives. Think about that. Hebrews speaks of Esau's regret. We should take warning. Hebrews 12.6 says, See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. And afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Those who sow to the flesh will reap destruction. Those who sow to the Spirit will reap life. Reap and sow society. Keep walking in the Spirit, church. One more passage of exhortation from Romans, verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 12 through 14. It says, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here, so let us put aside all the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, you know, drunkenness, not in dissensions and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. Don't be like Esau looking at how can I satisfy, how can I satisfy myself. Put on Jesus. Put on, it's a conscious thought every day to clothe yourself with Jesus, the armor of light, to put him on. Possess me, God. Take over. So Esau is famished, and Jacob, living up to his name, takes advantage of the situation. Verse 33, closing. But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. And he ate and he drank and then he got up and he left. Esau despised his birthright. Someone could go grab the kids. That'd be great. In 1 John, it says, He came to that which was his own, but he did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right, talking about birthright, the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, not of the flesh, not of human decision, but born of God, born of the Spirit. We are God's children because we believe in his name. We were born into his kingdom by the Spirit. You must be born again, Jesus said. Because of faith in Christ, we are now children of God. You are children of God if you've put your faith in Christ. You are now the king's kid. Not born of the flesh, born of the Spirit. New creation. So let's live like it. Not like Esau who despised the blessings of his heritage by living after the flesh. Let's live after the Spirit. Let us live like Jesus who denied himself, picked up his cross, and accomplished the will of the Father. That's the, that's the moral of the story. Flesh, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to destroy us every time. <laughs> I want to I shift gears and have communion. Can I have the worship team come on back up? In light of Esau, in light of 
Jacob, pictures of the flesh and of the spirit. Those two lives, those two things that are, are going on in the life of the believer. Our hope is in Jesus. He is the one who's had victory for us. And so as we come to communion, and I'd like to have just a time of contemplating, as the, as the stuff's being passed out, as, as, the, as the body and the cup is being passed out, let's contemplate for a second and ask the Lord, do I live like Esau? Or do I live after the Spirit? And just, just take an evaluation in light of the cross say, Lord, search me. Know my heart. Know what's going on. See if there's any wicked way going on and, and just take care of me. Draw me back. Let the Holy Spirit have his way in you. Pray that the Lord would restore our love for him and our love for one another the way that he designed it to be, you know? That unconditional love instead of, gosh, they don't give me this or they don't do that for me or, gosh, they bug me. I just love you because I'm loving you with the love of Christ. It's the love we need. And it's not something we can conjure up. It has to be a work that he gives us and does in our hearts. So let's take some time and then we'll take it together. Let's pray for a moment. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our hope. That your spirit, you said you'd send, and he's here. And may he fill us and possess us today to overflowing. And may that Esau within each one of us die daily. And may your spirit arise and your enemies be scattered in this place, in our valley, in our families, not by might but or by power not with all the strength that we can do because we're skillful hunters, but because we trust in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So, Lord, we have communion with you now. We remember your body, which was broken for us. You denied the flesh. You crucified the flesh. And that's what this bread is a picture of. You stopped it cold. Thank you, Lord. Let's take the bread together. And Lord, you were willing to bleed and suffer. Not just a little bit, but all the way. So that the work and the will of your Father would be done in and through you. And we are blessed because of that this morning. So, Lord, have your way in us today. Just as you submitted to the Father, Lord, we submit to you. Thank you for the blood that cleanses us from all sin. Let's go ahead and take the cup. So, church, as, as we go today, be aware of the two lives that are struggling within you. Put that Esau to death by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? God bless you.